0: Welcome to Affect Autism. This week we have with us a licensed professional counselor and expert DIR training leader, Mike Fields, in the Atlanta area. Welcome, Mike. Okay, I can't hear you. Uh oh. <laughs> unmuted. Oh, there we go. Okay, I can hear you now. Awesome. Okay. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Um. So. Um, As I've mentioned to you before, I heard about you through Dave Nelson, who we've had on affect autism before, and we spoke with him about the DIR school that he runs, Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model of Dr. Stanley Greenspan, and how he has the community school in your area, and his story was that he had an autistic son And that led him to getting trained in DIR and starting the school. And my understanding is that you have a similar story. So we would love to hear your story and what you were doing before you got into the world of floor time.
1: Sure. And actually, Dave plays a big part in my journey, too. So in my previous life, I was a computer programmer, grew up, I've always been a big nerd, Um, love comic books, games, board games, and video games, uh, superheroes, Star Wars is a huge part of my background. Um, And all that's gonna come into play here in a minute. But my son was diagnosed um, with ASD, actually back then it was PDD-NOS, back in the summer of 2000, I think. And uh, my wife worked at a children's hospital our doctors kept saying, he's a boy, you know, he'll, they're always slower. He'll catch up. Uh, so that doctor, when he, uh, when he ran the, in an eval with our son, came back and said, your son has autism. He's going to have lifelong limitations. And I thought, well, I'll never dunk a basketball, but I'm okay with that. What kind of limitations are we talking about? And he couldn't answer that. And so that really troubled me. You know, I'm, i was, a uh, scientists you know i want to solve things i want to fix things i want to be able to quantify what's happening um and just after that my mom happened to work with millie cordero her husband so we got in touch with millie cordero who's an ot in the atlanta area she's also a floor time therapist Uh, we met with her and that first visit was the first time that my son said mama and we had it on videotape, and pretty much since then, I've done everything Millie said.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it, it's, been, it's really been a ride. I was working at home as a computer programmer, so I got to take breaks and be involved in my son's therapy and see what was going on, um, and to learn a lot there. I learned a lot from Millie. She was amazing. I joke the only time she ever steered us wrong was she said that we should get a dog, first she told us, get a get a sibling, have a sibling. And we're like, well, get a dog. We got a crazy dog. The only time she ever steered me wrong. But uh, I told her, I want to do this. This is something amazing. I want to share this with other parents. You know, this is when we met with the floor time therapist, you know, they said, we can't tell you what your son's going to do, but we can't tell you what he's not going to do either. And that shift from that focus on deficits to focus on possibilities, Um, I mean, that really was life-changing for my whole family. So Millie said, there's this guy, Dave Nelson, if you really want to do this, you should talk to him. I talked to Dave and here I am, been uh, working as a counselor for about 10 years now, Um, Working early intervention, so kids zero to three. You know, when they're just being diagnosed, getting to see their parents. One of the first questions I usually ask is, "What is your favorite thing to do with your kid?" And I'm shocked by how many times people don't have an answer to that because they're so focused in this deficit that you know, thinking their child is broken or there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. And so, you know, one of my passion my big mission. My big goal is you've got a great kid and I can help you connect with him and we can use what they're good at and what you're good at to grow and to learn. And so that, I guess, in my long rambling way is, uh, how I got here.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And everything you said is so true. And of course, um, I got into floor time in a similar way. Um, just wanting to share this model with other parents. And that's why the website started. So it's, it's great to connect with another parent. And um, I'm so interested to hear about your professional work because you are a licensed professional counselor and you um, are self-employed, you, you um, have different, you mentioned that you work uh, with people that just had a diagnosis and you mentioned that challenge but you've also um, told me offline that you do a lot of other, a lot of other things. Um, Where would you like to start in talking about the work that you do? That's floor time related.
1: Um, I guess going back to the uh, huge nerd that I am, that I mentioned earlier, um, gaming superheroes, uh, all that kind of stuff has always been, um, you know, it, it always touched me and, you know, it's been important in my life, being able to uh, see myself as a hero. You know, coming up as a, a geek, um, and now you know I'm bald. My weight—there's lots of ways that I'm other, right? And a lot of the kids that I work with, you know, they're other. People are telling them that this is who you are. You're someone that's broken. You know, you're someone that needs to be fixed, or you need to change how you behave to fit in with other people. Um, but that's, that's not what all this is about. Uh, so one of the things that I stumbled across is in the last year and a half, I found that people are using games therapeutically games to help people grow. Uh, this is the intentional application of, you know, it ties right in with floor time. I thought this was beautiful in it. You're using assets and affinities, something that uh, people have an emotional connection to, that they're interested in, that they want to do. You know, you're not going to go sit on a couch and have somebody, you know, therapize you. um, But this is a way that you can have fun and grow. Um, So uh, there's uh, Jack Birkenstock with the Bodana Group in Pennsylvania. I bumped into him about a year and a half ago. Um, Virginia Spielman, another four-time therapist, OT in Colorado. She's doing some work with um, role-playing games. Critical Core is a project she's working on. She's working with a couple of guys, um, Adam Johns and Adam Davis from Games to Grow in Washington State. I found that, and I'm like, you can use games to help people grow that? That's amazing. That's two of my passions, you know, two things that I'm really – just really want to – to share, you know, helping people see that you can have fun, you can grow, you can be empowered. Um, and so I've started running gaming groups with middle school teens um, and we play different kinds of games. I personally like cooperative games, uh, it helps take the edge off competition and there's gonna be enough conflict um, coming up in the game anyway. Cooperative games are where it's all the players against the game. So that helps with um, you know social problem solving, frustration tolerance, communication, uh, and then ultimately uh, things like Dungeons and Dragons, role playing games, where you are the hero in that game, and you get to pick what you want to be like, and you get to act how you want to act, and the game evolves and responds around that. So it provides a safe opportunity for somebody to do something that may be challenging. You know, to be brave, you've gotta convince the army to join you. Or, you know, there's this demon or monster that you have to stop. How are you gonna do that? Or there's this mystery that you have to solve. And these are real life problems. And we can create those scenarios and tailor them in the game to give kids the opportunity to process and work through those things, feeling successful, feeling competent. And there are studies that show that that translates out into the real world. Even in that small microcosm of the game, when you do something and, and you feel that, that accomplishment, that's, that's not just in the game, that's you being empowered. Um, so, yeah, in the last year, getting to do that has really been... Uh, Exciting, And that's kind of my new niche, kind of where I'm trying to create uh, a a practice here doing that along with the early intervention and working with families and all that kind of stuff, too.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And um, right now, the first thing that pops into my head is I should have had my husband do this interview because I'm going to set the two of you up. He is a super game nerd. He is a co-owner of a local game store. He runs gaming events all the time for youth. Um, he hasn't got into the autism field yet, but he's waiting for the day that our son can play some games with him because he's been doing this since he was my son's age and my son is nine now. Um, so he would know exactly what you're talking about when you mention some of these gaming things that that I'm – unaware of, but understand a little bit conceptually.
1: <laughs> so, but see, uh, that's, that's what Virginia is doing too. I, I, if I understand right, what critical core, what she's working on there is uh, a way to take that into the family, like floor time. Uh, we want parents to be the therapists. We want them to understand their child to be able to support their growth because they're there all the time. The R relationships is such a huge, uh, such a huge factor in growth and development, uh, and a big part of obviously the DIR floor time model. Uh, um, you know, being able to pass that on and help empowering the parents too, so that they can create their own hero's journey, their own story. Uh, that's that's great and taking it, you know, not just from having to have a therapist or somebody be able to do the work, but to be able to let people do that at home. So there's something coming for you too. You need to talk to Virginia again.
0: You know what? Um, I had my husband hooked up with her on that project from the start because he was uh, finishing a master's degree focusing on gaming um, in information science. So uh, he, he hasn't talked to her in a while, uh, but I think he'd be very eager to jump in on that project when it gets going. So I heard a little bit about that. And the other person you mentioned, I don't know who that is in Pennsylvania,
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: but we'll put links um, to what we're talking about at the website, affectautism.com. So a couple of questions came up about what you said. And the first one I alluded to is developmental level. So my child who just turned nine is at a developmental level of, I don't know, anywhere like three, four years old, something like that, cognitively. And um, regulation is a big challenge. So uh, I don't understand a lot about these games, but my understanding is that people sit at a table and there's discussion involved and you have to be regulated. So uh, my son isn't there yet. Um, I'm assuming that there's a certain developmental capacity um, that you, you need to have this particular group that you're doing this work um, need to be at for these types of games?
1: The great thing here is, you know, just like floor time, it's using assets and affinities. It's about, uh, play. It's about meeting children where they are. Um, and there are so many different games, uh, that you can, you can find a game or even create a game to, uh, to meet the particular needs of the individuals or the group that you 're working with, and there 's a number of different games some have more structure for kids who need that structure, some are more wide open uh, when i 'm working with kids who uh, you know just want to tell a story you know we have a, a shared narrative we'll create you know letting them be a part of creating the world, describe what 's happening around them and yeah this this is all symbolic uh, play, so I guess ultimately even at the lowest level, yeah you, you'd need to have you know some level four social problem solving level three definitely you know symbolic uh, reciprocity um, level five and so in there you can adjust to uh, whatever is going on and it can be you, you can start adding structure even to games like you know lining things up or building things and knocking them down you know once a child gets to that's
0: where my son's at building things and knocking them down
1: <laughs> oh there's lots of great games you can use that with um, Jenga is there that's a game you can, you've got the tower you pull the wood blocks, you let it fall um, but you know what?
0: That, that was one of his birthday presents, the awesome. giant venga. Um, So maybe offline, you're going to have to tell me what to do with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, all you know, I know you, mean, is
0: you, you build it up and you try and take a piece out. I don't know if there's more to it than that.
1: <laughs> there can be whatever you want to be with that. You've got the basic structure of your interacting around this thing. You've got this object of shared interest, right? That helps you uh, come together. I mean, the real game is your interaction, yes. but the, the the game or the object, you know, is something to work around, and that kind of sets the uh, parameters. It helps make things predictable, you know. And uh, when we we all want something predictable, anxiety about not knowing what's going to happen, that's big with uh, you know people on the spectrum. Um, And having those boundaries to know that they're safe helps open up opportunities to engage, to communicate, to take risks. Um, So whatever level of, you know, structure they need or don't need, you can add that to the game. Even with Jenga, maybe it's, you know, we're going to start taking them from the bottom or turn taking. That's, you know, can be part of the structure or part of the game. Or uh, maybe one of you builds and the other one knocks it down. But, yeah, games start so early and so simple. And play is so fundamental to what kids do. I mean, what's the quote? Play is the occupation of childhood. Um, So, yeah, just joining where they are, you know, as is the the style in floor time. And uh, building around that to add the just right challenge to set them up for success but also give them the opportunity to fail in a safe environment you know where Uh, it's okay and you can do it again
0: you led me right to my next question was a which was about this whole development through play and how floor time is play based and everything we do is play based and how important it is for children to work through their emotions in play it's almost like um, practicing real life without consequences so um, when our children are struggling to get into that imaginary realm and you know it's taken three four years and we're just starting to see our son slightly do a little bit of imaginary play if if we if he's on his own for a few minutes, every now and then, um, I'll see him doing the trains and have them talking to each other. And it he might be saying some scripts that he's heard, but he's also, um, you know, he's generalizing that to what he's playing with, which is a start. Mm-hmm. So um, am I understanding then that this gaming is almost like a platform uh, or a scaffolding to really help? facilitate this process for certain children who are so interested in, in whatever types of games you're doing, if they're interested in Dungeons and Dragons or if they're interested in superheroes and you do a game around that, it's sort of allowing them, it's, it's the vehicle that allows them to um, practice all of these real life scenarios in play.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it is absolutely scaffolding um, and creating that safe space. Uh, for them to try things. Uh, I know that it's, as a parent, I know it's hard to see a child struggle. We don't want to see our child in pain or, uh, you know, we don't want to see them fail. And I've had this discussion (laughs) numerous times with my son in the last couple of years, especially, you know, he's an adult. He wants to be treated like an adult. And I'm kind of undermining that unintentionally and, and with you know, I have, it's, there's love behind it. I'm trying to help him. I don't want to support him and I don't want to see him get hurt, but by not giving him those opportunities, I'm actually not helping him learn and grow. Uh, and one thing came up, my, uh, we were at a hospital years ago and, uh, I left something in the car. I told my son, I'm gonna go back and get it. Do you wanna go on up to the room without me? You know what room number it is? Yes, okay. Uh, okay, then I'm gonna go back and I'll meet you up there. He went to the wrong room and he didn't know what to do, so he just sat down. He didn't go ask for help. And you know, he's uh, he was a early, mid teenager at this point. And yeah, he didn't have any experience of being lost or separated or what do you do in that situation? Because he'd never been alone there'd always been somebody over him. Um, so now, you know, it's like, yeah, you're right. We need to give you the opportunity to go off the opportunity to be, uh, to make mistakes, to figure out what happens when you're lost. What do you do? How do you get help? And I remember you talked with, uh, I think it was Dr. Fader. You're talking about repetition, but, it had to be a certain kind of repetition. And, you know, you have all these varied experiences of getting lost. And a typical kid will have tons of those by the time they're, what, five, six? You know, but uh, when, when you, you're a parent of a child with special needs, they're not getting all these opportunities because you're right there. So they need to have all these different experiences. And through these games, um, we can set those up. What happens if you get separated from the party? One of the big rules in Dungeons & Dragons is never split the party because bad things can happen when you're not with your friends. You might run into the dragon, and when you're with your team, no problem, you can take them on. But if you're by yourself, that's not going to end real well Uh, so that we can create those opportunities over and over and over to help them catch up and have those repetitions and get that Uh, richness of experience, Uh, you know, all the little variations in there that you and Dr. Fader were talking about uh, to help really build that understanding and to give them ultimately confidence, uh, to give them agency, you know, people, the medical professions, when they give a child a diagnosis, they're labeling them. This is your identity. This is who or what you are. And uh, I mean, I think I mentioned Joseph Campbell earlier A prolific writer on uh, on myths and stories and hero's journey uh, and basically how stories from tons of different cultures all across the world all kind of have the same things that happen. Uh, You've got an individual, and then something happens, and there's a call to action. Their situation has changed, and now they go on this journey of growth where they. Either have to accomplish some task, if you think of King Arthur, search for the Holy Grail, Uh, Indiana Jones trying to find the Ark or whatever the artifact is. Uh, But those are all metaphors for real life. And in these games, we get to pick who we are. Do we want to be the strong soldier? Do we want to be a wizard or, uh, you know, an investigator who hunts down ghosts? Or it can be whatever. Um, but we get to choose that and not have somebody else tell us who or what we are. And that's a unique experience for, um, people who've been, uh, diagnosed, you know, labeled or put in, this is who you are and they should get to choose that.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I think so many of the kids love those movies, like, um, Lord of Rings came to mind. Harry Potter came to mind and they'll watch those movies over and over again, but you're actually giving them the chance to be the Harry Potter and to be the Frodo or whatever his name was in Lord of the Rings <laughs> and to be yeah. the hero, and, and that's, that's so wonderful. Um, and, and just, again, like you said, giving them the confidence so that when in real life something happens, instead of just panicking or just sitting and doing nothing, maybe, and we hope the, the goal is that they'll draw on that experience from the gaming and from the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll have the confidence to think what should I do and maybe I can do something now.
1: Yeah. Um, I was just at this adventure camp with a group, um, Airy Experiences. I was on a horse ranch, 300 acre ranch on the Cumberland plateau in Tennessee for two weeks, um, two weeks, By the way, on a ranch is a long time. I'm a geek. I like technology. I like my creature comforts. But it was fun. Some amazing things there. And there was, uh, you know, I I worked with one child who the game was kind of scary. So we're going to twist the rules. We're going to tweak it. We're going to make things uh, a certain way so that it makes it less likely they were going to fail.
0: Now, just to clarify, you had said this camp was specifically for children on the spectrum? Yes. And what was the age range
1: oh wow there's a big range on this one it went from uh eight on up to 18.
0: Okay, i would love to put a link to that in the blog as well because parents might think i'd love my kid to do that next summer
1: yeah and uh area experiences this particular group it's not just a summer camp that they do but they'll have weekend treks where they even have a hike that they'll do over a weekend and since it's a hike, there's no cabin. You're carrying your own gear, food, all that kind of stuff. So, so they have one where they use llamas as pack animals for the kids. And I'm like, wow. I want to go on a llama hike. That just sounds really – that's a cool adventure right there. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, this game, you know, we're, we're playing, and, you know, we're tweaking the rules to make it safer. It's more comfortable. And then – Throughout the time, every time we played it, I would push more for, yeah, it's not really as satisfying, you know, if we, if we really did this, you know, but okay, that's okay. And kind of eased him into it, and so by the end, we played a game with somebody else, too, adding other people, which adds, you know, that's more uh, tension, that's more stress, more unknown, less control, um, and playing by the rules, and we won. and. Just seeing that growth, that change, that difference is excitement when, wow, we really did it. Being able to create those opportunities and see kids thrive in that, um, there's no, no better feeling in the world.
0: That's amazing. And what you said there, I think, is so important because I've, I've heard Dr. Greenspan's radio shows talking about it and, and read stuff that he's written about easing children into things that, is, that they're not comfortable with And I wrote a blog about this a, a couple weeks ago about how expanding and challenging is so important to human growth. And I think, um, you know, there might be some parents out there who say, well, I tried that with my child. They had no interest or they were too scared. And, and we just it's too hard as a parent. Like you said, we can't stand to see our children struggle. And and especially if they're really adamant about it and they have a temper tantrum. Um, you might not want to try it. So can you talk a little bit more about how we use this floor time technique and strategies to really make it safe for the child and just, you know, um, challenging them a little bit and, oh, oh, okay, okay, that was too much. We don't want to do that. Um, As opposed to a more black and white, like, okay, you don't have to do it. Or, yes, you have to do it, and this is how you do it. And, you know, comply or else – too bad. You know what I mean? It's, it's not there. We're always in the gray area in floor time. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
1: Sure. So just, just to start with kind of the other perspective first, you know, um, some people think that it's uh, a parent's job or a therapist's job to, you know, toughen the kid up. We have to teach them to push through and, you know, we have to make them strong. And, uh, you know, we talked about uh, opportunities to fail and challenges and things like that. We don't have to create those. The world. Somebody once told me, you know, you're you're worried about your kid not getting the lesson that the world doesn't revolve around them. Do you really think the world is going to let them grow up without learning that? No, no. It's a tough place out there, and so safety, as you mentioned, is important. You know, um, families, parents are uh, the safe space, and we need attachment. grow but yeah growth comes through stress Uh, if you want to get you know bigger muscles right you know you want to beef up your body um you have to put extra pressure you know you lift weights you you increase uh, intensity or uh, if you're trying to build endurance you know you push your body harder and it responds and grows that's cognitively it works the same too if we want to learn to be able to think better, process better, we have to practice doing that. Challenge ourselves with problems that aren't in our, uh, you know, what, we're already, what we already know and what we're used to, and the brain will respond by growing to that. Emotions are the same thing, too. You know, how do we learn to handle adversity? We experience it, and we come through it safely on the other side, and, uh, you know, with with challenges, um, you know, not letting our kids be hurt or whatever. We want them to know that um, sometimes we can solve a problem, and that's great. You know, the kid's upset because they want something. You can give it to them, and it all goes away. But there are going to be problems you can't solve, too. Like, heaven forbid, a, a, a pet dies. You don't fix that problem. But we can grow emotionally. We develop resilience through experiencing those things, and being safe and, and realizing that, uh, even through this difficulty, I wasn't alone. I had somebody with me and yes, it's hard, but it came out on the other side. Okay. Uh, we're going to be able to, to do that again. So I feel like now I've kind of lost the question. Is was like sidetracked. No,
0: no, that's, that's true. And everything you said is true. And just to, to, Keep it going to respond to what you said. Um, I just joined a gym and I worked out with weights. I, I've been working out with weights with a personal trainer off and on, very not very regularly, but enough to sort of stay in shape. And I joined this gym because it's going to be cheaper overall, and um, and I can sort of go when I want. And I did a workout for the first time in three weeks, and then a couple of days later, I pulled a muscle and I was hobbling around last week. I could barely move. So, similarly, you want to challenge to get stronger, but if you push too hard, you're out of commission. And similarly, with our kids, if we push them too hard, and like you said, toughen them up, and there's this, you know, that whole way of raising kids that came about in the you know, in with our parents and grandparents, the way they were raised, you know, just throw them in there and let them survive or die, kind of thing. That that really isn't going to work with our children because uh, they they will have you know sensory overload or or whatever it is. So the stress will be too much. So it really is about um, finding that middle ground and easing them into it. So I loved that example you gave where. The boy at the camp you were at was a little bit too overwhelmed and you modified that to you know guide him along in, and help him in the challenge so he didn't feel alone and then lo and behold it led to success and that will will help him experience that even though i was scared i was able to overcome it and be successful And you want to repeat that over and over again with all these different experiences to build that muscle, so to speak.
1: Yeah, but the the child has to be developmentally ready for it too. Um, I had a mentor one time uh, tell me about, he used an analogy of a haunted house. Some people love haunted houses, the excitement, you know, we get upregulated and, uh, you know, maybe like being scared. Other people really don't like that feeling. So what do you do around a haunted house? Well, with somebody who's interested, let's go through, let's check it out. If there's somebody who's really scared, the way you challenge around that is, what do you think's in there? What would that be like? And instead of pulling them through it to find out, think about it. And then you're finding out what's important to the child. You're finding out what their their challenges are you know, what's hard or what's scary for them because it's coming from their mind. They're sharing that with you. Uh, And then, you know, you can help process that kind of stuff. What is it about that thing that is scary or what is it about that that would be hard? Um, So the beauty of floor time, the beauty of using games, the beauty of using play is that you can adjust that to wherever uh, the child or not just kids, me, there's stuff that I'm scared of too. I'm afraid of heights or I guess I'm not really afraid of heights. It's the fall. And I guess if I'm really being honest, it's not even the fall that scares me. It's that sudden stop at the end. that bothers me. Um, But yeah, I love flying on airplanes, but I'm afraid of heights. My son tells me your fear of heights isn't rational. And I'm like, No, you're right. That's what makes it a phobia. And you know, if I if it was rational, then I'd be able to think my way through it. Um so you know, getting into a place where, you know, we go on a a cruise or at a hotel or something, there's a glass hotel and my son wants to go up. I'm like, Okay, we talk about, you know, you're really brave here, you're really strong with this, this doesn't bother you at all. This is gonna be hard for me. So everything is out in the open, you know. Uh, normalizing fear instead of pathologizing things. Differences. Some people are good at some things. Some people are bad at others. I mean, I have ADHD. As you can probably imagine from my rambling here, I get really excited and animated about stuff. Um, So Impulse control. Things like that are hard for me. Um, My son has a great memory. Mine's terrible. But there are ways to accommodate that. And that reminds me of another thing I wanted to mention in this too. Um, we talked about uh, diagnoses and identity and, you know, being broken or needing fixing, coming from a deficits-based view, switching to a strengths-based view. Um, there was a guy here in Atlanta, Robert Watkins, passed away recently, but I got to spend some time I'm with him and he talked about he was an autistic adult self-advocate a writer advocate for others he was really involved in the community and trying to create opportunities for uh, other autistic adults in Atlanta and um, one of the things he talked about was the difference in impairment and disability impairment is a medical condition um, something that limits you in some way uh, Several palsy, you know, being able to move around or write. My son loves to draw, but uh, he has mom CP and he says, you know, I draw like a five-year-old. Um, I showed him artists who have CP and actually use that as part of their style. So that doesn't have to be in- inhibiting either, but that's where disability comes in. Disability is something that's typically created by society or by the environment that that prohibits you from being able to engage or to interact. Uh, Example, somebody in a wheelchair, you know, not being able to walk is an impairment. It's only a disability when there aren't ramps and elevators or ways for people to get around. So a lot of what I see my work or my focus as being is in that area of disability, not in the area of impairment. You know, I don't need my son to be somebody different. I don't need to be somebody different to fit in. Um, That's another thing about being a a geek and a gamer. I have a tribe, I have people who uh, like the same things I do, like them the way I do, uh, and I feel safe and feel like I belong there. Um, So, focusing on strengths, assets, affinities, all that stuff helps us. Connect helps us find our place, and it addresses that that difference at a disability level, making things accessible, including being included, being valued, not just accepted but valued too um, and that's really what uh, all this is about for me, helping share that you know spread that to people and, and to you know individuals, parents, you know. Um, it's not broken. There are great things you can do together. You can have fun. There's going to be some things that you can't do. Um, I'm never going to go rock climbing. I'm okay with that. I don't need to be a part of that tribe. Um, and you know, trying to push myself to fit in there is not going to not going to help. I read an article. By a businessman was talking about how he became so successful. He said there are things that I'm really good at, and I focused on those. And then I surrounded myself with people who could support me or who could do the things that I couldn't do. If he had spent all his time on uh, what he wasn't good at, he may have been average. My ADHD, you know, if I try to be organized, you know, and I spend all my time and energy on that, it's taken away from the creativity and, you know, the, my brain jumping around from thing to thing. If I go with that, I can make neat things, you know, and I can, uh, I can follow, uh, you know, if somebody is interested in one thing and they quickly switch to another thing, I'm not rigid about that. I can go with the flow. So, you know, I use my strengths. Why should, uh, why should I make my son or anybody else not?
0: I I love that. And it's so important. And it's, I think it's the main point of the neurodiversity movement that's really come out, especially since Steve Silberman's book, Neurotribes, about how um, autistic brains are wired differently, but it's more society hasn't accommodated that wiring society is accommodating the way neurotypicals are and if actually society were accommodating to the way the autistic brain is, then maybe neurotypicals would feel like they have impairments or disabilities. Let's let's say. So yeah. um, I, I really liked I liked that discussion and, and what you brought about it because um, we really do need to change the the sh- we need to see that shift in the broader culture. Um, and that's what this podcast is for—just trying to educate and inform people. And even in the general public school system and and the general public, they they still do have very much have a deficits based opinion of autism, and that is starting to change and shift. So, um, mm-hmm. the more the more we can get that message to parents who are new to this and are panicking when they get that diagnosis, um, the better, because, um, it, it doesn't have to be doom and gloom by any means. Yeah.
1: And I, I love what you're doing with affect autism because you, you're reaching out to a, a wider audience. Um, with my son you know, and our family with him coming up, um, you know, we tried making him fit in but that's too much pressure. Uh, and it wasn't it, it, really what that's doing is that's focused on the people around it. Other people are uncomfortable with your difference. So you have to change. Right. Yeah, that's, that's kind of backwards. So I heard somebody say one time, I thought this was beautiful. And we try to do this too. Um, try to make my son's world bigger, uh, but keep his community small um and it's just starting and starting with and building around him people who accept him value him for who he is people who accept and value me for who i am uh and you know have lots of experiences go try this have opportunities uh like with the haunted house do you want to do this rock climbing do you want to do that the horse ranch you can do this we'll we'll make a way, we'll find a way to make that work, you know, addressing the disabilities part, making things accessible, Um, but not at the expense of your ability to regulate, to feel safe, to feel connected, to feel competent, um, to feel valued. Uh, And so, uh, you know, just, yeah, just trying to focus on where find a place where he fits in not not make him fit into somewhere else if that makes sense
0: yeah absolutely and um and the whole thing about about that too um trying to um get him to have that small community um where he feels safe and accepted is is just so important because you know the world is not going to change for us let's face it the world goes but slowly we have these little shifts and if we if we get that community around us that is understanding then somebody on the outskirts of that community might have something happen and then that spreads to a new community and then that spreads and that spreads so over time there'll be ripples that will change the way things happen and, and so yeah that's great um one thing I wanted to cover before our time is up is what about, um, Oh, I just to follow up a couple of things. Um, So just because our child might say, no, I don't want to go in that haunted house doesn't necessarily mean that they don't want to, but we have to accept what they say. But what about the children who they want to, but they're too scared? And um, I guess, The only thing we can really do is listen to what they say, watch their their cues, and maybe if they're very upset, you went home and they were upset because then you realize they really did want to. They were just too scared. Then at least you know for next time you can sort of um, what we talked about earlier, like easing them into it and seeing. And if they really, really then protest, then you know that it's too much. Um, And I, I
1: I make mistakes. I get it wrong. I miss cues. I read cues wrong. Um, but that's, that's life. That's part of the world too. Uh, and one of the things, one of the many things that is so great about floor time is affect is central to everything emotion, you know? So if I make a mistake, I'm sorry, I messed up, you know, I want another chance because this is important to you. So it's important to me. And, uh, you know, whereas society may say anger or sadness, you know, those are bad emotions. We call them negative emotions, but you know, those are just as important as happiness. Uh, and if we can model, be open, talk about process, those things, normalize them. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I hate you right now. I wanted to do that. Yeah, I'm. I understand, and that's okay. You can you can hate me right now. That's fine. But I'm not going to leave. You know, I'm still here. I'm going to try again, and uh, you know, we'll 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 try. We'll make it happen. You know, we'll keep doing, it and we'll try and get it right.
0: Now that leads me to the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is what about if our child is nonverbal? Because it's so much more challenging um, for parents if they can't follow what their children want. And certainly some of us can because we'll get to know our child so well that even though they can't have verbal language, um, we can understand through their nonverbal communication. Perhaps they use uh, a device to communicate with us. But are there modifications in this gaming um, world that you've been talking about For nonverbal children, for instance, my husband told me that there's a Dungeons and Dragons player who's nonverbal, whose mother comes with him to the tournaments and plays the cards for him. And he's wildly successful. And I wish I knew more details about it, but that's what I remembered from the story that he told me. So that's that's an example of someone who's nonverbal who was able to participate successfully.
1: Yeah. So uh, communication is so important um i work with uh some kids who go to a school here in atlanta called the connection school um and they use rpm letter boards to communicate and so uh, a couple of them found out about uh you know the gaming groups that i was doing and said you know if we had somebody who communicates with the letter boards if they wanted to play could they Absolutely. Yeah, there's no reason why they couldn't. You know, they would need uh, somebody to facilitate because I'm not trained in that myself. I don't know how to do that. But uh, yeah, having an assistant, a communication partner there with them, absolutely. Uh, there's, uh, for other disabilities, there's, uh, there's a Kickstarter that happened. Kickstarter is where you can uh, pay to support development of games or different um,
0: inventions.
1: Di- yeah. Uh, so there was uh, a set of Braille dice, Dungeons and Dragons dice, uh, that recently were made available. Um, you know, So if vision is an impairment, you can make that not a disability, not bar you from being able to play games. Um, yeah, communication, it, however we can facilitate that, we need to. And you talked about, uh, you know, being aware of our kids and, you know, subtle cues, watching for things. Um, I w- was working with another child who was, uh, they, the group that uses letter boards here in Atlanta, they, they don't say um, nonverbal because words can be, you know, spoken, written, lots of different ways to express Uh, you know, to use the verbiage, Um, but they'll say, you know, minimally or unreliably speaking. I was working with a child who was, they would call minimally or unreliably speaking, and he was um, really sad, and so he started using this script, and I didn't get it at first, but part of, you know, making mistakes, not understanding, I would tell him, can you say that again? I missed it. I'm sorry. I'm trying to understand. I know this is important. And you mentioned neurodiversity to presuming competence, Mm -hmm. even if he is uh, minimally or unreliably speaking or, you know, whatever, treat him with respect and dignity. I believe that this child understood and his body just wasn't working for him to be able to communicate. So over the course of, uh, two days um listening to the script i finally got it down and it was a it was a cool script from a cartoon and the theme of that particular script was uh loss and change and so i was able to join in the script and then i interpreted i said is this what this means this are you saying that you're sad or you know that that uh, you miss your parents or whatever and you know he looked at me and didn't use that script again after that so yeah we have to look for cues and yes somebody's ability to communicate is can be a disability it's going to affect what types of games they can engage in but like i said uh, you know you can take the game and tailor it to the individual strengths and abilities and look for cues um look for expressions, you know, movements, uh, actions, uh, looks, anything. And when you interpret that, let them know, I saw this. I think that means this. And then that gives them a chance to confirm that or to, dude, that is way off. What is wrong with you? That's not <laughs> even close. Um, but, you know, just joining and trying to, to help with that connection and, um, I think makes a big difference and you can tailor that and have the game, whatever kind of game work that works for that child it focuses on their strengths, their assets and affinities. What are they like? What are they good at? And let's use that.
0: Well, that is wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing the time to be with us and, and tell the listeners about all of this. Um, it's so interesting. And, and gaming in general is such a growing thing in society in general. It's one of the most popular things out there. And certainly um, our kids are going to want to be a part of that too. So having the opportunities for this type of thing is wonderful. Um, are you aware of uh, maybe maybe offline we can discuss and then I'll put it in the blog post if we know of places where people can go online to find such events in their own communities um it might be it might be um something that doesn't exist everywhere but people may be inspired by hearing this podcast to get in touch with you and start it in their own community and we'll certainly put links to your website and your email address Uh, you're on twitter you're on facebook Mm -hmm. mike fields l
1: l mike my first name is larry but Nobody calls me that and my dad actually goes by Larry but his name isn't Larry so
0: <laughs> so L yeah, Mike
1: I'm Mike but yeah L Mike Fields and just about anywhere you can find me L Mike Fields at twitter um, L Mike Fields at gmail.com um, then for my website which is currently being modified and updated that's l michael fields lpc.com um what am i missing Also, you can find L. Michael Fields LPC on Facebook. I'll put
0: put links to everything so that our listeners can contact you if they're interested and certainly comment Mm -hmm. at the bottom of the blog post at affectautism.com. We're always trying to interact with our children through Affect, thus the name Affect Autism. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully our listeners enjoyed today's podcast. Please do uh, comment or offer any experiences you had at the blog post in the comment section. And um, thank you so much, Mike. Um, we'd love to connect again In if you want to tell us about any other projects in the future. It'd be I'm going to have to
1: come visit and do some gaming with your husband.
0: Oh, I, I think so. I think you'll have to show him how to run these groups, and, and he could get something like that started here. That'd be great. In the greater Toronto area, I'm sure there'd be a huge demand for that. So that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for listening listeners. Um, until next time, here's to affecting autism.